So as some of you know, uh, two weeks ago, we launched a series that's really leading us into Easter entitled, When the End is Not the End. And trying to really, I think, have an honest conversation and dialogue about this kind of paradox that's set up, seemingly, where we see all these stories in Scripture. And stories, I'll put the list up there, stories of different things happening where it looks like a particular ending is coming. You can go to the next slide, Chris. It looks like a particular ending is coming, something like physical healing uh, takes place, where someone is expected to be sick, someone is expected to be lame, someone is expected to be in this place for the rest of their life, but then Christ shows up, or you know, on a grander narrative within Scripture, God shows up. And all of a sudden, that end that everybody had determined is no longer the end, and there's something different, or things like actual resurrection. Someone's life is over, but then the end is not the end. And Christ shows up, God shows up, and things happen. But even more than that, there's stories of conflict and war where it seems like the end is found. This, you know, They've lost the battle. They've lost the war. Just give up. Throw it all in. Why bother? And then the end is not the end, and hope is found, and things change. Food and supplies where they don't have enough, and all of a sudden they do have enough. Or relational needs. Someone that, that is uh, alone or not okay with where things are at relationally, and the end is not the end. There's someone that is just determined, this is where I'm going to be the rest of my life. And then again, God... Christ shows up, and all of a sudden, the end is not the end. We're trying to have an honest conversation because many times what we can do is we can hear stories like this, and then we try to look at our own circumstances where the end is seemingly coming, whether it's you know, physical sickness, death, where it's something happening relationally, something happening conflict with our dreams, whatever it is, and we feel like there's an ending coming, and we ask the question, okay, but there's these stories where the end is not the end, and so how do I make that story my story? And many times what we can end up doing is we find ourselves within some kind of spectrum or in some kind of category that for some of us, we know what it's like, next slide, to be found within this believer category, to be somebody that says, okay, the end doesn't have to be the end. And so you have these stories in the Bible. And so I'm someone that is working hard to believe these stories to be true for my life, to believe these realities to be found for me too. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to do the things that I, I think I need to do to make the end not be the end. But then there's another kind of side to this spectrum where when it's really what we talked about two weeks ago, the skeptic, someone that is looking at these stories and someone that's looking at where the end is not the end. And they start rubbing their you know, heads and going, OK, I don't I don't know that what you think is happening is actually happening there. Maybe there's something happening medically or biologically. Maybe there's something happening, you know, sociologically. Something's taking place. People came through in a way that we didn't expect them to. But there's a different story other than just being a believer and God shows up. There's something different. And so you find yourself within this category of, spec of skeptic. And here's, here's what I know and, and why I th this series is something that I find fascinating, particularly within this context. Because what I know is that CMYK, as a church and a community, we're made up of both ends of that spectrum. That there are people in this room that you work hard to find your life within that believer category. Got to believe, got to hope, got to pray. And that that is the work and the voice that you bring to the world. And that there are people in this room that find themselves on the skeptic category. And no matter what kind of miracle, what kind of beautiful thing has taken place, you find yourself going, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that the thing that you think it is is actually happening. And you're skeptical of mystery. You're skeptical of belief. You're skeptical that there would be even a God moving and working. And so I think it's a significant conversation to have because typically the reason I love this church and I love this community is typically what you find is you just draw a line and say, well, <laughs> that there's a church for those people and there's not a church or there is a, a weird church, let's say, for those people, the skeptics. 
And what we're trying to do and what we believe CMYK is, is the space for both to find a more beautiful way forward together and to figure out, okay, how do we reconcile these stories and how do we reconcile this thing of when the end is not the end, when mystery takes place and happens. And so if we're going to talk about this, I think there's four things that we really need to kind of talk about and revolve our time and conversation around. And those four things are this. We've got to talk about fundamentalism. We've got to talk about truth. We've got to talk about anxiety. And we need to talk about joy. All of those are big things. And all of those could be their own kind of talk or series, whatever, in and of themselves. But this morning, for the sake of time and for the sake of understanding my own limitations, I thought it would be great to invite someone that has spent really a majority of their life wrestling through a lot of these things, and I think has a really uh, important and significant thoughts to bring to these conversations. He's a part of the CMYK community. Would you please give a warm welcome to Mr. Mark Nitz as he comes up and shares with us this morning. Are some of you ever worried that I'm going to call on you and I didn't, like Josh Anderson, and Josh is like, I didn't know, okay. Uh, sorry, I just had that thought of like, is anybody out there wondering if I'm going to, okay, all right. Mark knows he's talking this morning. <laughs> oh, is that what was? <laughs> That's what was happening. Well, I, I was really hoping you'd call on someone else. Yeah, that would be fun. Uh, so this is Mark, and um, I'm, I'm going to let you kind of share real ble- briefly why you're up here to help talk about these kinds of things. Um, not that you feel qualified, but but what is the driver motivation that's been a part of your life to to bring you to this moment? Because Matt asked me to. Okay. All right. This is fine. <laughs> no. Um, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I was studying geology at Rocky and decided I liked to think about things more than I liked to look at rocks. And I still like to look at rocks. So happens that I got the geology degree and the philosophy degree. And so I like thinking about things. I like science. I like philosophy. So the real joy of it is that that spectrum up there, I get to dance around on both ends of it and just kind of play with all the thoughts. Um, I've done a lot of reading over the course of my life, lots of Kierkegaard, all sorts of other philosophers that have strange last names that most people don't like to look at or pronounce. Um, So spent a lot of my life dealing with this, wrestling with it, as Matt said, and I don't have any conclusions for you. I'm not going to give you the answers because I don't have any. Uh, but I enjoy asking the questions and then really digging into what does this mean? How does this influence us? Uh, what are the pieces and parts? What, what are the elements that we get out of it that uh, embolden us to face parts of life? So, yeah. so that's when, it. When we talk about this spectrum of the skeptic and the believer, the first concept and idea of fundamentalism, um, what, why is that significant to talk about within this conversation? Fundamentalism. Um, so the, to kind of think broad brush, fundamental, fundamentalism is the result of constructing a safe room. It's, it's, it's how we, it's because we have decided that we need to protect either what we think or what we feel. And so we start to build up uh, argumentation walls and we set a, what we think is a logical argument on this side, and then one on this side, then one up here, and then one over here. Pretty soon we're all boxed in, and we think, hey, we're nice and comfy. And anytime something comes along that threatens that, we embolden our own argument. We, we use the confirmation bias thing, and we look for things that tell us exactly what we want to believe, exactly what we all think we already know, and say, ha-ha, I've conquered that, that outside force. I don't have to deal with that now, right? Uh, it happens on both sides. 
you can have, and to be clear, in this context, within this conversation, we're talking American Christian fundamentalism. You could expand that, extrapolate that to all sorts of other faiths, religions, etc. cetera, uh, keeping it within that context. Uh, we, it's pretty easy to fall into, hey, I, you know, the, the Bible lays it all out. The earth is X number of years old. Everything in here is literal. I don't have to worry about anything else. It's also possible to fall into, on the science side, the second law of thermodynamics is true, and I can prove it, and therefore I don't need to worry about God, right? Um, that's the conservation of energy, by the way. So there's something. <laughs> thank you. Uh, there's something fascinating about that for me because I think most of us know or have experienced what what Christian fundamentalism fundamentalism is. This idea that this is this is the world, and independent of anything you see or experience outside of that box that you create for yourself or that narrative that you tell yourself, uh, it's wrong, and and this is what's right. Uh, that you know. It, sorry. <laughs> wow. Why childish Gambino just started playing? Okay, all right. Okay. Uh, so, but there's something to that that most of us have experienced. Just ignore or, or, or find a different narrative for what you're seeing and experience. This is, this is the line. You've got to toe this line. You've got to stay in this box. Don't believe or think anything outside of that. What's fascinating to me, and, and, and I know Mark's experienced it, and I'm starting to experience it more and more, that fundamentalism also exists on the skeptical side of things as well, that someone that would want to reject any kind of belief or mystery or faith, those kinds of things. It's easy to be fundamentalist on that level as well and unwilling to see anything outside of your box, anything outside of these walls that you've constructed for yourself. And, and at the end of the day, you can avoid fundamentalism by becoming a fundamentalist just on the other side of things and think, and, and I'm speaking for myself, think that you're enlightened. Think that you're processing the world in a really beautiful way. But all you've really done is, is you're still a fundamentalist. You just no longer have the Bible. It's, it's another set of beliefs or ideals or thoughts that are, are really driving your fundamentalism. So this is a negative and a bad thing. Why is it a negative and a bad thing? This practice, this uh, kind of the self-emboldening leads to, as I said, kind of a, a defense against other logical arguments, um, even illogical arguments, but logical arguments are more cool. Um, and it, th this defense becomes defensiveness. Uh, again, we, we've put up walls and we've added a roof and there may or may not be a little door through which we can exit. Uh, and, and most of us uh, even, even I'm guilty of this at times, live in that world where that's all we want to know. Uh, the problem with that is it is completely subjective. And there are two terms that aren't up here on the board that I'm not going to go into lots of depth, but subjective truth and objective truth. Subjective truth, ice cream is the best dessert ever. Sounds right. Objective, <laughs> it's objective truth too, right? Yeah. I want to make it objective truth. Sorry, I'm just confused. Obje yeah. Objective truth is 2 plus 2 equals 4. So really nice and simple. Just use that as a framework. Fundamentalist boxes are built of subjective truths. We don't have to worry about how, if we're on the... i got to make sure I'm pointing at the right side of the room so you guys don't get look at me like I'm strange. Uh, we don't have to worry about... Uh, logical scientific arguments, if we have built our nice little fundamentalist Christian box here that tells me all the answers, uh, because that's truth. Same is true, 
I can show mathematically and physically that in a closed system, energy stays the same. I don't have to worry about what the Bible says, or I don't have to worry about mysticism is actually a better, better approach. Uh, the fact or the idea that there may be some being out there, I, I don't even have to think about it because I can prove what I already know. Problem is neither is objective truth, even though we use math on the science side, uh, neither is objective truth, and there's always something pushing on those walls. The more we try to either ignore or argue against it, the greater the pushback. So it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and there are apologeticists out there who spend entire careers dealing solely with one question within some fundamentalist box. Fortunately, philosophers get to, like I said, play on both sides of that, and not that we're not going to clear anything up, but we're going to approach that with what is, what is truth? How, how do these two ideas interact, subjective, objective truth? And it's really fascinating because I think most of us have experienced or potentially know people on both sides that your life is spent defending something. And, and, and you're, you're angry and there's teeth to everything all the time uh, because you have to defend this world that you've created for yourself. Because if, if, if you let something through those walls, the potential is everything starts coming down. And that's a scary, and, which we're going to talk about in a minute, anxiety-ridden thought. So the idea is just spend your life defending and making posts and finding articles and posting this you know, discovery that, that just continues to build up your own belief and your own worldview, your subjective truth. And, and which leads to this idea that, that Mark is the one that, you know, introduced me to it, that really uh, what we're all dealing with and what science is even dealing with is this concept of probability in the midst of truth and, and, and finding truth in the midst of probability. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, scientists who live in fundamentalist boxes think of truth in terms of math truth, like we said, two plus two equals four. Uh, very little of what we do in science can actually be proven true. So little nuance. Most scientists, see whether they believe it or not, aren't proving anything. They're disproving the, the antithesis. So all ravens are black. Has anybody ever seen a white raven? Does that mean they don't exist? <laughs> We've seen albino other animals, right? Could there be a white raven out there? Yeah. Have you seen one? Probably not, with a capital P. You know, or even the conversation of, has anybody got all the ravens right. together? Has, yeah, has anybody collected all the ravens? Yeah. If you have, or does that account for all the ravens that are coming, you know, that, that don't exist yet, that will? Does that account for all the ravens that are dead? Okay, now I have a headache. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the same is true on the fundamentalist Christian side. Uh, the probability that Noah's flood happened the way it's described is very, very, very low. But, we, but fundamentalists who believe it look for all the evidence they can find to prove that the world was once completely covered by water. What's the, what's the reason this matters? That the probability that either of those things is actually true in, a, in an objective way, in a math truth way, is actually very, very low. There probably is an albino raven out there to disprove our hypothesis. And there is evidence to suggest that 
the world was never actually covered in water. So we land, suddenly we find ourselves landing in the middle with, the, with this objective truth inserted into uh, the middle of what we're trying to accomplish. Which, so th this is where it's fascinating to me. Again, wherever, whatever side you're on, rather than living in a fundamentalism, rather than building up these walls, to be invited to actually interact with the world and, and, and recognize what we don't know. And that all of us are dealing with probabilities, just like science is dealing with probability. You know, we can make a statement, all, all ravens are black, because, you know, probability speaking, like, yeah, that's, that's, we can say that, you know, with a lot of certainty. And same things on the, on the belief side of things. But at the end of the day, that's only found when we're willing to venture out from our fundamentalism and actually start to experience the world and relationships <clears throat> around us. So, you know, relationally speaking, uh, fundamentalism would say, if you do A, B, and C, you're always going to get D as an outcome, you know, for your life. So, you know, if you want to be in a marriage or a healthy relationship, you just pray and you read your Bible and go to a good church and someone's going to show up and everything's going to go great. And that's what you do. You just follow that path and it's going to be great. Probability speaks to, well, there's probably some things that you can do, like maybe eat a little healthier and don't play so many video games and like go out and see other people. Like there's probability that you can bring to help engage or a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship. It's not found when you do A, B, and C. It's found, okay, probably, you know, you can deal with, okay, let's talk about this. Let's deal with this. What makes a healthy marriage? And, you know, we can bring a probability into it, and you can actually experience these things and walk through it. So, that, I mean, so there you're starting to actually interact with some objective truths in the midst of probability right. is what I find fascinating. Yep. And so one, the reason that objective truth is, one of the other reasons objective truth is important is objective truth is what inserts kind of some scariness into our beliefs, right? What if what you believe, whichever little safe room you've built, isn't actually true? You can kind of feel your heart pound a little bit. Oh, my gosh. You want to shrink down and, again, build the, rebuild those arguments. Got to rebuild those argument walls. Um, there's anxiety that's in introduced, right? All of a sudden, that fear becomes, that, that pushback becomes real because you can feel it. And that's actually where all this goes is with all this anxiety that, that surrounds you, objective truth, whether, it's, whether you're living in subjective truth, you have a, a grasp on objective truth, there's something that's probably pushing back against what you believe. Whether or not you take that anxiety and approach it and try to understand where it's coming from is kind of where the answer lies. Again, I'm not the guy with the answers. I'm just suggesting this. <laughs> just a proposition. Um, that, that approach, that, that, that approach to anxiety, whether or not you're willing to face it, kind of segues into the next topic. Because most of us know what it's like to feel uh, anxious about the fact that we don't have the answers and we don't know. And particularly around this concept of when the end is not the end, you see an ending coming and you want to know what the answer is. You want to know what, what's the equation or what's the thing to fix this or to make it better. And to be willing to go down that path and say, I don't know. And you know, for me personally, whether it was my brother passing or... Um, uh, you know, experiencing my mom passing a few weeks ago or different things happening here at Art House or with CMYK, the numbers of people that, 
mean, we just automatically want to go to the answers and say, just, just this is this is what you got to do, and this is what you got to do, and 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 I understand that they're trying to help, and there's there's love behind that for sure. I'm I'm not belittling it, but compared to, okay, maybe I just don't know. I don't know uh, everything that I want to know. I don't, this this world that I built for myself is is potentially crumbling, and is that okay? Or do I need to fight, like you say, fight to keep rebuilding and reinforcing these thoughts and beliefs? And so what you're saying is that anxiety is real, but rather than running from it, to be willing to own it, to name it, and to even lean into it a little bit. Right, yeah. And so philosopher, not a psychologist, but dealing with anxiety is is a real challenge. Um, I'm going to speak to some, some of what you said and then kind of lead it into the... Uh, the final thought up here. I'm going to read something. Paul Tillich is one of my favorite philosophers. Yeah. <laughs> woo Preach it. Nerd alert. <laughs> Paul Tillich is one of my favorite philosophers ever. He's great. Yeah. yeah. The Courage um, to Be, if you're looking yeah. for a great book. Yep. The Courage to Be, and then I'd strongly recommend Systematic Theology, Volume 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> if you're um, having trouble sleeping at night, that's what we recommend. Yeah. It is good. But, okay, go ahead. Let's see. Tillich has this to say about the place of truth. Subjective, objective. There should be no question of what Christian theology has to do in this situation, that being the discussion we're having here right now about objective truth. It should decide for truth, with a capital T, against safety. Remember the safe room? Built our walls. Even if the safety is consecrated and supported by the churches, so it should be decided for truth against safety, even if the safety has been consecrated by the churches. Wow. There are lots of people out there saying, I bless your safe room in you know, whatever way they bless it. I grew up Episcopalian, so we probably used incense. Uh, <laughs> um, the, what, what really matters here? Are we approaching, are, are we willing to open up to, and, and actually feel that anxiety and live with it? and start to understand where it comes from, start to understand the arguments behind it, whether or not it actually has meaning, whether or not it, it can impact our lives in a positive way. Are we willing to do that? Because if we are, and this is both Tillichian and C.S. Lewisian, those aren't really words, I, make them, I get to make them up. Uh, C.S. Lewis, Paul Tillich both speak to joy and whether or not we face that anxiety, whether or not we really let somebody else's perspective, even if it is their subjective truth, into our safe room, we can start to open up the little door, we can start to take down some of the walls, and we can start to see that there's some greater stuff out there. We actually learn something. It takes some courage to learn something. It takes some courage to reach out and say, what do they mean when they say, or where are they coming from? What, what pieces and parts have they built to construct this argument about the world being completely covered in water? Or where are they coming from when they say that two plus two equals four, or energy is conserved, all that stuff? So rather than spending your life defending, you spend your life discovering. And, and discovering, yes. discovering yep. other people's stories and narratives, discovering uh, potentially other thoughts and beliefs and ideas, discovering science, discovering uh, all these things. And in that, what you're saying, where we have anxiety about that discovery, so that's why we defend, mm -hmm. to actually take that 
to, to be willing to break those walls down and to step outside the door, however you want to picture it, to, and to go on that discovery journey, joy is at the end of that path. Mm-hmm. N- not more anxiety. Not, um, and, and I think what's difficult, though, is there, is there are people that want to stay in the safe house. Yes. And when they watch you leave the safe house, for their defense, they have to mm-hmm. belittle you right. and belittle yep. your choice and yep. say that you're not thinking right, there's something wrong, broken, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but, and I'm, I speak, I speak <laughs> from my own story, to continue down the path, to continue down the path of discovery, there really is joy there. Um, and I would say that there really is God there, Christ mm-hmm. there. Absolutely. And... On the you know, from the from the believer side, from the from the faithful side, to start to, to to learn to understand a how science works, what science really is, but b what you can learn from it, and discover, hey, all these molecules that build make a a mineral, and all these minerals that make a rock, and dig even deeper into you know physics and energy, uh, really actually quite amazing. It doesn't have to be well, God did it. You know, I've, I've got some greater information that's kind of cool. <laughs> you know, I can go look at mountains and hills and the rim rocks and say, hey, there's a story there. It's not just rock. Uh, from the science perspective, even if you understand how light and photons work and you walk out and go, go for a hike, the amazingness of nature the fact that you're capable of interacting with something that is just absolutely phenomenally not completely understandable because that that nature expands into the universe that is so large that you can't fathom it is pretty amazing. And whether you think that there's a, a mechanical aspect to it or not, that amazingness is something that is actually beyond science. It's not two plus two equals four. It's a sense of, holy wow. And that's a technical term in philosophy. So, um, see why this guy had to have the mic today? Uh, So, as we close, um, you have the mic. Uh, Anything that you would like to say or communicate to the CMYK community or anything you'd like to ask of us that we can do for you? Seek the joy. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Engage with the anxiety. If you are in one camp or the other, if you are willing to reach out and engage with it, please do so. Uh, That's amazing, too. Uh, And I'm open to questions. I, again, don't have answers. I just ask more questions. That's what we do. (laughs) Can we thank Mark for coming and sharing this morning? Beautiful. Yes. And uh, his wife Heather's here, and their beautiful new boy Carter is here as well. Yay. So, but he's only three months old, so don't touch him. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, so, for me, the the idea of this series is trying to have these kinds of honest conversations. Two weeks ago, to have Kate and Joanna that come from a medical side of things. To, I mean, and and they would probably find themselves more in the skeptical camp, but they're working hard to not be fundamentalist in their skepticism. And this conversation matters because the easiest thing for us to do as a community and as a church is to, to just find another box and to find more terminology that, it, we're, again, we're just becoming fundamentalist again. We, we, it might not be fundamentalist Christian or fundamentalist scientist or skeptic, whatever it is, but for me, 
there's an invitation for us, a more beautiful way forward together. That whatever kind of box, whatever kind of safe room you come from, because we all grew up in those, our parents told us this is how the world works, whatever it is, that for me, I, I love the invitation of this table, I love the invitation of this community to bring your story and to bring your narrative here. And wherever you're anxious, I can't say that. I can't go there. I can't be honest about that. Whatever ending that you're feeling and sensing, whether it's an ending of a dream or a vision for, for me personally, you know, kind of what I'm, I'm working through right now is just trying to recognize, okay, are there things that I'm trying to be somebody that I'm not and I need to be more honest about who I am? That, that, that's the end of something for me that I don't know that I actually want to face and be honest about some things. But to be willing to go there, to go down this path, and rather than try to live in a safe room and defend myself um, for you, defending a relationship, defending a dream, a vision, an idea, whatever it is, and be willing to be honest and step out of that safe room. I love the way Mark talks about that. And for me, I love this meal because um, the, we have it recorded in the Gospels where Jesus is inviting his followers to say, take of this bread, it's my body broken for you, take of this cup, it's my blood shed for you, and take and eat and pass it around and everybody around this table uh, partook in it. And in the midst of that is a guy named Judas who is definitely probably more on the skeptic side of things at this point because he's about to leave this meal and go out and betray Christ, betray Jesus. Because he doesn't, he thinks there's greater, more things there. But Jesus, knowing full well, because in every gospel before this meal takes place, Jesus looks everybody in the eye and looks Judas in the eye and says, one of you is going to betray me. He knows full well what's about to happen. But the story goes, everyone's welcome to this table. Wherever you find yourself and whatever you're going through and whatever ending you're experiencing, rather than spending your life trying to defend something, step into this space where you can be honest. Step into this space where you can hear and experience and discover other people's stories and wherever they are. And whether you're someone that's about to um, betray in, in some ways that you feel like, man, I'm... I'm not worthy. I'm not in a place that it doesn't know. This table is for you as well, that everyone is welcome. And so this morning, we come to this table again. And I would just ask the question, what kind of safe room do you need to be honest that you're living in right now? And what kind of discovery process do you need to go on? Do you need to call something the end? Or maybe you're busy calling something the end and you need to step into that mystery and light, whatever it is. We don't know, but what we do know is... There's joy at the end of this path and this journey. So whenever you're ready, feel free to come forward, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and we will receive together. God, it's <clears throat> my belief and my understanding that some of us in this room um, know full well what it's like to spend our life just defending. God, some of us in this room... Um, are fearful to leave the, the safe room um, because if, if we're willing to poke at that, then does this whole thing start to break down? For some of us, that's found on the belief side of things that uh, we want to know that we know that we know some things and hold on to some beliefs. And as beautiful and good as that is, God, it's my belief that this table and this community represents the, the willingness and the ability to ask questions to hear stories, and to discover. God, some of us in this room, and, and I think it's, it's probably a good some of us, know what it's like to live in that fundamental Christian box, and, and so we've worked hard to shed that. But 
God, some of us have, we've just created a room and a box for ourselves where wonder and mystery, and as Mark said, the holy wow is, is gone. And it's my hope and belief that, that this community, that this table uh, would be an invitation back into that. And where some of us might be fearful that it means back into fundamentalism, that, that's not the invitation at all. We're all trying to get out of that to find uh, joy. And so that's what this table is for me and I believe for us as a community. And so we go this week and, and we leave this space to go find that joy in being present, honest, open, and the embodiment of love. We love you. It's in the name of Christ we pray and we say together. Amen. <clears throat>